0: It's Midday Magazine for Friday, December 15th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's borough-owned hydropower plant upgrade is in its final phase of testing. The plant is fully operational and is back to supplying a portion of the town's power. KFSK's Hannah Floor has the story.
1: Petersburg's utility director Carl Hagerman has been managing the upgrade since planning began in 2018.
2: It's great to be at the end of this project um, and, and see it come online. Um, I've been working on it for five years, and it's, uh, it's pretty satisfying to see it come through and, and work so well.
1: The hydro plant supplies roughly 25% of the power that Petersburg consumes. The power plant is one of two hydroelectric sources for Petersburg's power and the cheapest one. The hydro plant is nearly 100 years old, although existing equipment was installed in the 1950s. Five years ago, the borough hired an engineering firm to conduct a conditions assessment of the equipment. They found that some components of the plant were deteriorating. Hagerman says they recommended an upgrade to keep the facility operational and increase the amount of power it generates.
2: That equipment that they uh, took a look at was built in 1955, and so we've had a really good run with that equipment. Um, and we're hoping with the new equipment that we'll get at least the same amount of time out of that.
1: The hydroelectric project cost about $9.5 million, which was mostly paid for through a bond. The borough is also hoping for a roughly $3 million grant. The hydro plant is powered by water from a dam at Crystal Lake, located partway up Crystal Mountain, 17 miles south of Petersburg. Water flows through a pipeline, or penstock, down to a powerhouse where it's pressurized. That pressurized water turns a turbine, which generates the power. After the water goes through the turbine, it flows downhill for use at a state-owned salmon hatchery. Contractors started on-site work in May. Originally, Hagerman had hoped to be done testing the new system in October, but complications pushed the finish date later than expected. Some of the concrete that needed to be torn out of the powerhouse was full of rebar, making it hard to extract. And scheduling experienced personnel to install the equipment once the site was ready proved difficult. But by late last month, the crew was finally ready. Hagerman says the testing process can take quite a bit of time.
2: With that many different, essentially, points of failure, they need to go through every single wire, every single point, every single mechanical device to make sure it's going to work as it was designed and um, we get the product that we're paying for.
1: Hagerman says the testing was completed earlier this month.
2: Good news is, all the testing went very well.
1: The final step, something that's contractually obligated by the equipment manufacturer, is that the facility be run for 10 days straight to make sure it operates normally. Hagerman says that should be done before the holidays.
2: Things are really winding down, and the site is actually looking like a real site instead of a construction zone anymore. We didn't think the project would be going this far into the fall but um, definitely nice to get it done before Christmas.
1: There are still a couple of kinks to work out. Water doesn't seem to be flowing properly to the hatchery because of an airlock, but Hagerman says they plan to fix that soon with an air valve, weather-dependent. The plant upgrades are expected to last between 50 and 70 years. The vast majority of Petersburg's power comes from hydroelectricity. The borough purchases the rest from the Southeast Alaska Power Agency, or SEPA a publicly owned consortium that supplies Petersburg, Wrangell, and Ketchikan with power at below market rates. When energy loads are high during the winter months, the borough relies on backup diesel power.
0: In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Juno residents have until Christmas Day to provide input on the potential environmental impacts of the city's proposed compost facility. Last year, the federal infrastructure spending bill earmarked 2.5 million dollars in funding for the design and construction of a municipal facility. The city says it could cost upwards of 7 million dollars. Deanna Robinson is an environmental project specialist for the city's engineering and public works department. She says the facility could divert over a fifth of the waste going into Juno's only landfill each year. That's needed. The privately owned capital disposal landfill is only expected to last another 20 more years.
3: The assembly's
4: goal is to, you know, divert as much from the landfill, both for the environmental impacts, uh, but also to extend the life of our landfill.
0: The facility is slated to be at the former Lemon Creek gravel pit. According to an assessment released by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, no significant environmental impacts are anticipated. Juneau resident Lisa Doherty runs Juneau Composts, a privately-owned compost facility. The business has been leasing borough land in Lemon Creek since 2019. It's a short walk away from the proposed site. Doherty is concerned about what the new facility will mean for her business and fears it could close her down. She created a petition asking the city to put out a request for proposals and ideally choose her to collaborate with on the design and construction process. But the city is waiting until the project is built to find a partner. Doherty says that's far too late. You know, I can't continue to operate my business in this unknown if if someone else is going to get that contract in a few years it puts me in this space where i can't continue to invest in my business unless i know if
3: i'm that partner or not
0: robinson says the city is aware of doherty's concerns but she says it's too early in the process to begin seeking out a private business to contract with
4: we're very confident that we're going to be contracting it out to a, a private entity to run, um, just like we do with our recycling and our household hazardous waste. But really right now, what it boils down to is that we're just nowhere near ready to for something like that.
0: The facility has a long way to go before construction begins. The city estimates it won't open to the public until 2027 at the earliest. What began as a tiny garden bed on the front lawn has blossomed into a full-fledged farm-to-table program for Sitka's Alternative High School. Pacific High in Sitka opened a 1,100-square-foot greenhouse on school grounds this year, supplemented by an extensive outdoor garden. Principal Mandy Summer outlined the program for the Sitka School Board on Wednesday. She said, It's not just about growing plants.
3: So the purpose of our program um, is really to build career, technical, and general skills in youth um, that they will need to thrive in the future. We have classes and activities that are 100% based in our farm-to-table program, um, and these include our spring gardening, um, our garden construction classes, our um, culinary classes that happen all year long, and our school-wide stewardship days.
0: Pacific High has a small student population relative to other high schools in Sitka. When the first garden plot was built in 2011, there was only one class associated with it called reading and weeding. Now there are tie-ins to classes in all academic areas. And a grant-funded garden coordinator, Andrea Fraga, who corrals over 40 volunteers in summertime to support student gardeners. And Mandy Summer says that at Pacific High, all students are gardeners.
3: When we have garden stewardship days, um, even our most disengaged students inside the building and inside the classroom are very engaged outside um, in the garden. Um, The work is supporting their confidence and their pride, um, supporting their development of a good work ethic. And the kitchen and garden spaces also allow us to make connections with traditional foods um, for our majority um, indigenous student body.
0: Pacific High's Farm-to-Table program receives significant support from the Sitka Conservation Society, which at first served as administrator for the garden coordinator job, but has since spearheaded raising over $150,000 to construct the greenhouse. Gardening might not be at the top of the list for many conservation organizations, but the society's Chandler O'Connell said the program is in the SCS wheelhouse. We
4: strongly believe uh, in youth development as an essential pathway for building sustainable, thriving communities. The youth in Southeast are so amazing and they often have so many incredible opportunities thanks to the environment and communities and cultures that hold them and surround them. And they also face really significant challenges. As you all know, people experiencing poverty, violence, trauma, struggling with mental health challenges. Um, And so programs that focus on early intervention, prevention, and also early exposure to career pathways that are rooted in values and place um, can make a really big difference.
0: Although the structure is complete, there's still much to do to make the new greenhouse fully functional. Principal Summer said that there are outstanding grant applications for funding to supply utilities to the building and for other equipment to heat the garden beds in winter. The Ketchikan Killer Whales last weekend hosted the first city invitational swim meet. Six clubs from throughout southeast competed in over 100 events, including the club from Wrangell that recently lost several members in a landslide. As Maria Dudzak reports from Ketchikan, it was a bittersweet event. The loss of those swimmers has affected clubs throughout
5: the region. Before the Ketchikan meet started... A moment of silence was held for those who died in the November 20th landslide in Wrangell Otto shoots and the Wrangell Swim Club's Heller family, parents Timothy and Beth, and their children, Kara, Derek, and Mara. Kara and Derek were in the club, and Mara was inspired by her siblings to join. Jamie Roberts is the coach and owner of the Wrangell Swim Club. She says 11 year old Kara and 12 year old Derek had been swimming with the club for a few years but were unable to compete until this year. Their first meet was at an annual event called November Rain held in Petersburg just 10 days before the landslide.
4: You know, it lit a fire in them, Kara especially. Uh, She swam a 500 at that meet. I think she was the only one to swim it and came back and was like, what's the longest event that you can do? And I said, well, that's the 1650. And she said, okay, that's what I'm gonna do in Juneau in the spring.
5: The 1650 is a one-mile endurance swim. Robert says about a week later, Kara started practicing for the event with the help of her mom, acting as a lap counter. Robert says Derek was really starting to hit his peak, getting stronger and building confidence, and that he performed well at the Petersburg meet.
4: I actually had him swim on a relay team at November Rain with the older kids. Some of my older kids, my high schoolers, he was kind of nervous about it, but man, he really held his own. And you know they got some first place places for uh, both their medley relay and their freestyle relay. So I think that was really a a sweet moment as well.
5: Roberts says 16-year-old Mara Heller was her sibling's biggest fan, cheering them on loudest at the Petersburg meet. Shortly after, Mara wanted to be part of the team.
4: Her mom, Beth, had messaged me and she's like, can Mara join the team? She's asking me like five times a day if she can, you know. And so I told her, I said, yeah, send her to practice with Derek and Kara. And um, I was getting together some swimsuits for her, you know, and then the slide happened. so um, that was a missed opportunity for us to be able to welcome her to the team as a swimmer, but she definitely was their number one fan.
5: Robert says with COVID and an extended pool shutdown, this was the first in many years that the Wrangle Club had been able to compete. Because they missed so many opportunities, she says she told the kids at the beginning of the season that any meet they wanted to go to, if they signed up for it, she would take them, even if it was only one or two swimmers.
4: Kara and Derek were the first to sign up for this particular meet, the um, first city invitational, and I was like, oh, I guess we're going to can.
5: Robert says with holiday performances the weekend of the meet she wasn't sure anyone would sign up
4: i was really glad when they signed up and then i got a few other kids that said they would they would come as well and then um it was really hard when i had to go in and you know remove them from this meet because you know they're the reason that you know we were going to come here anyway
5: even though the tragedy still lingers Robert says it's important to keep on living And because Kara and Derek wanted to be at the Ketchikan meet, the team would be there for them. She says events like this give the kids a sense of normalcy and is part of the healing process.
4: I really just think being here is really important for us. And to feel the support of our swim community. We're all just in Petersburg. A lot of these same kids were there with them. You start to make friends. And, um, you know, just feeling that support from our surrounding communities and our swim family is also part of our healing process as well. So just really happy to be here.
5: The final events of the meet, the girls' and boys' 500 yard freestyle, were dedicated to the Hellers, especially Kara, the event she planned to swim. In Ketchikan, I'm Maria Dudzak.
0: In memory of the Heller family, Coach Jamie Roberts announced she will swim the 1650 at the Southeast Champs in Juneau this spring. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.